Imagine being a fresh-faced surgeon, stepping into the world of medicine and receiving a golden piece of advice. Well, what you think is a golden piece of advice. Never ever use epinephrine in patients' fingers, toes, ears, or nose. It's a warning that reverberates through the halls of medical training, a cautionary tale aimed at avoiding the terrifying specter of gangrene or tissue necrosis. After all, the mere thought of causing such a devastating complication sends shivers down the spines of even the most seasoned surgeons. Welcome, listeners, to another enlightening episode of Prep with P. Fella. Today, we're diving headfirst into the depths of an age-old medical myth, the use of adrenaline in fingers. Together, we'll scrutinize this long-standing belief and subject it to the scrutiny of current research. It's remarkable that in the last 120 years, we've encountered only 48 reported cases of digital necrosis attributed to local anesthetics. Consider the sheer volume of local anesthetic procedures performed annually on the hand. Why have these 48 cases etched themselves into the fabric of hand surgery culture? But here's the burning question. Is it a dogma? And if so, will this dogma persist against the relentless pressure of modern science? With all that said, it's time to buckle up and start this journey. Producer Jim, hit play on the intro. Welcome to Prep with P. Fella, your go-to podcast for evidence-based insights into plastic surgery. Whether you're on a coffee break, stuck in traffic, or waiting for the anesthetists to put the patient to sleep, we've got you covered. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button for more in-depth content, and of course, check out theplasticsfella.com. Before we dive into the heated debate of dogma versus science, let's take a moment to reflect. We need to ask ourselves a fundamental question that will set the stage for our discussion today. Where does the age-old phrase, don't use adrenaline in fingers, originate? What is the historical context that has cemented this idea in our medical practices? It's fascinating how deeply entrenched this notion is, but we must explore whether there are historical factors that have given rise to this belief. So let's peel back the layers of time and uncover the origins of this long-standing chestnut. Let's jump in our time machine and go back to the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The first use of local anesthesia in the West was reported by Carl Collar in 1884. From this point on, things really started to accelerate. Epinephrine was first isolated from the adrenal medulla 13 years later, and then tacamine isolated it in crystalline form and patented it as adrenaline, or what we know as epinephrine, in 1901. Then, in 1903, a new version local anesthetic surgery was born. A gentleman by the name of Braun popularized the idea of adding epinephrine to cocaine solutions for anesthesia. Sorry, wait, producer Jim jumping in here. Did I hear that correctly? Did you just say cocaine? Yeah, sounds bizarre now, but that was one of the first local anesthetics used. Braun used the concoction of cocaine and adrenaline acted as a sort of chemical tourniquet slowing the absorption of the cocaine and extending its numbing effect. But Braun had commitment issues. He wasn't all in on using epinephrine in the digits. He warned that if the action of epinephrine was too intense or prolonged, it could lead to gangrene, particularly if the blood supply was already compromised, like in cases of arteriosclerosis, wounds, or surgical flaps. But he did use it near the base of the finger, where the blood supply was more plentiful, and advised injecting just a small amount. So... In a sense, we've been wrestling with this to use or not to use question from the very beginning. 
Without knowing, Braun perhaps was planting the seed for the next century, a seed of doubt about when adrenaline is safe in finger surgery. Fast forward about 60 years from Braun's time, through a series of publications and case reports that reported instances of gangrene from adrenaline. In 1963, a fellow by the name of Bradfield conducted a review of digital block anesthesia and its complications. He found 14 documented cases of gangrene after digital blocks and added three of his own findings. But here's the kicker. It wasn't clear whether epinephrine was used in those cases. So to me, that sounds like there's even more confusion. Yes. Then, in 1967, the plot thickened. Johnson reported his experiences using lidocaine with epinephrine in the hand and fingers. He had a whopping 421 cases under his belt, and guess what? Not a single incidence of digital gangrene. A significant number of these cases, at least 98, involved the finger. Johnson emphasized how this technique skipped the need for general anesthesia and a tourniquet. So here we had another piece of the puzzle suggesting that perhaps epinephrine wasn't the digital villain it was made out to be. Okay, but why does the dogma persist for roughly the next 40 years to the early 2000s? To answer that, let's descend into the depths of my library. Prepare yourself for an illuminating journey by taking the elevator down. Shift your gaze to the left. I'm dusting off an age-worn hardcover. It's Bunnell's Surgery of the Hand. This textbook went through six editions, all referencing this literature from the early 1900s, and it has had quite an influence. But it was Frederick Christopher's textbook of surgery that caught our attention. Published between 1936 and 1997, the first three editions had no specific warnings about using epinephrine in the finger. But then, the fourth and fifth editions dropped a bombshell. They warned against infiltrating too much fluid into the fingers and the dangers of epinephrine causing ischemic necrosis, yet without citing any specific sources. And then there's Green's Operative Hand Surgery, P. Fella's favorite textbook most of the time, which has consistently cautioned against using epinephrine in digital blocks throughout its editions. All this played a role in perpetuating the no epinephrine in fingers dogma for the next 40 years. But surely the type of local anesthetic and adrenaline changed over 100 years, like differences in manufacturing, preparation, and sourcing. Yes, that's exactly it. Remember at the beginning when I said, a comprehensive review of worldwide literature spanning the last 120 years reveals 48 cases of digital necrosis attributed to local anesthetics. Interestingly, none of these incidents were associated with the use of xylocaine, which is lidocaine and only 21 involved the application of epinephrine, and in only four is the concentration of epinephrine even known. It's noteworthy that the majority of these cases took place over 50 years ago, during a time when epinephrine was manually diluted. We now live in the age where the local anesthetic is already mixed in with the adrenaline, and without a doubt, this changes things. From my readings of the literature of the last 120 years, there is not a single case report of digital infarction with lidocaine and low-dose, one in 100,000 adrenaline. So looking right now in the present, does this dogma actually still persist? Yes, and it's pretty evident in the literature. When prepping for this, I came across a peer-reviewed survey publication. This particular study focused on understanding the choices of local anesthetics by senior medical students and junior doctors. The study was primarily interested in determining whether the inclusion of adrenaline in local anesthetics was perceived differently depending on the site of application. Interesting. So what were the findings? According to the study, 
a majority of respondents selected anesthetic preparations containing adrenaline when they were to perform a skin excision on the back. But when it came to performing a ring block on a finger, most respondents selected anesthetics without adrenaline. Essentially, they got a little scared, probably because of an old-school professor whispering in their ear. And this preference for adrenaline-free anesthetics on fingers held true for both junior doctors and students. But because of this bias, you could say there is a selection bias, as they are more junior and potentially more careful. So the plastics fella put out a Twitter poll. After 136 votes, over 75% use adrenaline in the fingers, and 0% reported a complication. Pretty interesting, right? But that's pretty anecdotal. Correct. But it clearly shows the thought process is still pervasive. But to work out if this is actually a dogma, we have to look at current evidence. There is prospective research out there. It was published in 2005 and called The Dalhousie Project. And of course, by the legend himself, Donald Lalonde. The authors injected local anesthetic with epinephrine electively into a total of 3,110 consecutive cases. There were no cases of finger infarction, skin necrosis, or tissue loss of any kind. The most common types of finger cases were trigger finger releases, contracture releases, and flexor tendon repairs. So that's pretty reflective of a standard hand surgery practice. I actually read that paper, and there are some absolute gems of hard facts that are kind of interesting. Firstly, the vasoconstrictive effect of one in 100,000 adrenaline wears off by itself in an average of six hours and 20 minutes in the finger. Secondly, phentolamine consistently and reliably reverses adrenaline vasoconstriction in the finger in an average of one hour and 25 minutes. But I still feel there might be some doubters challenging this dogma. Any randomized control trial? Yep, there actually is some level one evidence, which is pretty hard to come by in plastic surgery, to be honest. Okay, go on, I'm interested. Well, there is a chap called Snomez, sorry if that's pronounced incorrectly. And in 2008, they published a rather smart publication. This article brought science to challenge the dogma. This randomized controlled study assesses fingertip capillary blood gas parameters, pH, PCO2, and PO2, bicarbonate and oxygen saturation before and after digital anesthesia in two groups. 2% plain lidocaine was used in one group and 2% lidocaine with one in 80,000 adrenaline in the other. Okay, this sounds pretty legit. Let me guess, no ischemia? In the plain lidocaine group, both PO2 and SAO2 increased significantly after the injections, which was a surprise to me, to be honest. In the lidocaine with adrenaline group, the group we are interested in today, the only significant change was a slight increase in pH, a 7% decrease in PO2 and a 1% decrease in SAO2. This was not statistically significant. That's interesting. But just to be the devil's advocate, anyone can go pee hunting to get those values below and 0.01. Was it clinically significant? There was no ischemia or tissue concern in either group. The only major difference was the long-term effect. Patients in the plain lidocaine group regained full sensation at the fingertip five hours after the operation. This period was eight hours for the lidocaine with adrenaline group. The difference between the groups was significant. The only thing I didn't like about this paper was the final sentence. In a medico-legal case in which necrosis of the digit occurred in any of the above conditions, it might be difficult to defend the use of adrenaline in the local anesthetic. That's just a personal pet peeve of mine. Don't try and set legal precedents in peer-reviewed journals, especially when the evidence clearly states otherwise. Okay, you nearly have me convinced, but there's probably still one doubter in the crowd shouting, 
but adrenaline reduced blood flow, who cares about oxygen saturations and all the science? If it ain't flowing, it ain't living. Well, to that one person, look at a 2004 publication titled Epinephrine in Digital Block, Color Doppler Flow Imaging. The authors used a Doppler flow meter to measure peak systolic velocity, end diastolic velocity, and resistive index changes in 24 digits after injection of 2% lidocaine and 1 in 100,000 adrenaline. They found that flow velocities had decreased and the resistive index had increased 10 minutes after the injection. At 60 minutes, the values were comparable to the pre-injection values. And like all good dogmatic topics, there is also a Cochrane review. But to be honest, it didn't add much, like most Cochrane reviews these days, unfortunately. It just says no evidence that adrenaline causes finger ischemia. But as always, the evidence in the review isn't great. Okay, fine, you've converted me on this topic. But I do wonder, will this actually change my clinical practice? Why are you so passionate about getting rid of this dogma? Well, at the end of the day, the priority is patient safety. After that, the next priority is clinical efficiency. The advantages of elective epinephrine use in the hand and finger are notable. The main advantage is the deletion of the need for the tourniquet and therefore the deletion of the risks associated with sedation or general anesthesia for most hand surgeries. Also, in certain operations, such as a flexor tendon repair, allows patients to see their active range of pain-free motion. Okay, okay, I get the point. I am now a convert. Adrenaline is much safer than I thought in hand surgery. Great. Based on our deep dive into medical literature and the compelling evidence we've presented, it's clear that the dogma of avoiding epinephrine in digital blocks is far from a settled fact. In fact, it seems it might be a remnant of a bygone era, a product of incomplete information, and one that's been passed down and perpetuated through influential textbooks. But, as always, we encourage our listeners to exercise their best judgment. We're not saying that you should throw caution to the wind, but rather suggesting that the risks and benefits need to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis, particularly with patients with pre-existing impaired digital circulation. Undoubtedly, adrenaline causes decreased arterial flow and vasoconstriction, and there is potential for complications in patients with additional factors that may lead to impaired circulation. I emphasize the word potential, just as there is a potential for you to get sucked out of a plane door. At the end of the day, can I promise you that there will never be digital ischemia in one of your local anesthetic cases? Unfortunately, I can't, because in surgery, there are no guarantees. With the massive number of digital blocks that are performed throughout the world on a daily basis, someone eventually during some point throughout the rest of human-led surgery is bound to infarct a finger that barely is alive by injecting it with epinephrine. But I know I'll be using local anesthetic with adrenaline in my next hand surgery case. Thanks for listening to this episode of Prep with P Fella. Remember to hit the subscribe button and check out theplasticsfella.com for more in-depth content. Stay curious, stay informed, stay safe, and above all, stay injecting. <laughs>